Welcome to Passion Life Church. I am excited today because we are going to talk about faith for miracles. Would you say that with me? Faith for miracles. I'm actually going to let you pick your own title today because I, I thought I'd title this too, Get Your Fight Back. But um, I know Faith for Miracles will get more views online. But I want to just say today, I think God is calling us to get our fight back. You know, how many of you still have dreams that, uh, that you want to see fulfilled in your, in your life? How many of you still have visions that you know that God has planted in your heart? How many of you have promises that you are believing to manifest in your life? I actually believe that Passion Life Church and God's house should be a house of miracles. Does anybody agree with me this morning? a house of miracles. And you know what? Miracles are our heritage. Miracles were done all over the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And the miracles were done to inspire us to believe. Say that with me. Say, I have to believe. And the thing is that some people are saying, well, you know, miracles aren't for today. But I, I don't know if they've ever read that scripture that says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, right? And what? Forever. And so if he was doing miracles when he was here in the flesh, he still wants to do miracles through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk about faith for miracles, but I do want to let you know when you are on the precipice of a miracle, there is a tension that happens. What is the tension? The tension that happens is, will you change or will you not change? See, a miracle comes to change your life to bring you into the life that God has for you. And so there's a tension that will you change or will you stay the same? Because listen, my friends, I just want to tell you, you won't experience victory with a victim mentality. I want to say that again. We won't experience victory with a victim mentality. And even though the victory has already been provided, many of times we have a victim mentality. You know, the victim mentality loves a self-pity type party, and it loves the attention that it draws, you know, to itself. You know, I've literally been in conversations with people, and, and it's just so interesting to me, where two people are arguing about who's the greater victim. They're arguing about who's the bigger victim. They're literally, one is trying to get more sympathy. The other one's trying to get more, more sympathy. And they're trying to one-up each other on my symptoms are worse than your symptoms. Good Christian people. And I'm not saying that God doesn't love them. I'm, not, I'm just saying it's interesting to me in those conversations. You know what? But instead of fighting for victory and talking about God's promises in their life and how they're believing that, they're actually wants to see who's the greater victim. Because somewhere in us, we love self-pity. We, we love just for people to, to coddle us. But here's the reality. When a miracle comes in your life, it, doesn't, it, it takes away the victim mentality and it causes you to walk in victory. Can I hear a good amen today? And so, listen, I do really, really understand. I understand things happen to us. And I don't want to minimize what has happened to you. I, I understand that. And I don't want to be insensitive to that. But the question becomes is how long are you going to remain a victim? I would say you say today, no longer. No longer. Listen, the very nature of miracles is to bring us out and to make you healed and whole and prosperous and victorious. That's the goal of miracles. And I'm just saying that because I, I, I don't know if you want a miracle now. 
Because I've literally talked to people that they've said, if I get healed, I have to get off disability and I don't want to work. So don't pray for me. You think I'm making this stuff up. It's sad to me. I've literally talked to people like that. The Bible says, lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. Oh, Pastor Phil, but you don't understand. Then I have to give back my handicap sticker and I, I can't get the great parking lot, parking spot at Walmart. You think I'm making these things up, but I'm just telling you, there's a mentality that people like the benefits of victimhood. And I've been there and I don't want that anymore. I want to walk in total victory. Anybody else agree with me? I want to walk in total victory. I want to see miracles. I want to see miracles in our house at Passion Live Church. But can I just tell you, in the Bible, there's one key ingredient for the miraculous to happen in our life, and that's faith. Come on, somebody say faith. This is why the Bible says that we are to contend for the faith, because that's where the battle is. You know, Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. He says this, fight the good fight of what? Faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now listen, it's called a good fight because we win if we will fight the fight of faith. So you, we need to get our fight back. We need to get the, that, that perception of our dreams back, of our vision that God has for it. You know what I love? One translation says, fight the worthwhile fight of faith. Why? Because you'll win if you fight. But we have to fight the way God tells us to fight. And I just really today, I want to highlight this. The fight is for your faith. And I'm believing today that some of you will get your faith fight back so you can see the miracles that God has for your life. I want to help us understand today how God moves in our lives. How many of you want to know God is already moving? But the question is, are we moving with God? He's moving. Not only, listen, is he moving, but he already has moved. What do you mean, Pastor Phil? See, I think it's easy to focus on what God will do and actually forget about what he's already done. How many of you know there's a lot of things that he has already done? And I want to go over a couple of those today because I think that's going to help stir up our faith. And then I'm going to give you a couple of steps of how we are going to fight for our faith. What has God already done? Number one, the price for sin has already been paid. It's already been paid. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, we have redemption. Everybody say redemption. That means God has bought us back. In him, we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Anybody thankful for the riches of his grace? The riches of his grace. 1 John 2, 2. It says, he, who's he? Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, watch this, but for the sins of the whole world world. I asked myself when I read this, I said, I wonder how much atoning sacrifice that really is for the sins of the whole world, for everybody who's ever lived and everybody who will ever live. How much atoning grace, how much rich grace is that for the whole world? Say it, it's been paid. Number two, freedom is available. You know, John 8, 36, therefore, if the son makes you free, then you shall be free indeed. And true freedom means you don't go back. Freedom has already been made available to you. Number three, forgiveness has already been poured out. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. This is my blood, Jesus says, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of 
sins. Would you say that with me? Say, I am forgiven. Do you know forgiveness has been poured out for the whole world? But what makes you experience that forgiveness? It's your faith, not your works, your faith. Number four, you know what else has been provided? Healing has already been provided. First Peter chapter two, verse 24 says this, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having been dead to sins might live for righteousness. Watch, by whose stripes, Peter points out, we were past tense healed. Just like Jesus took care of your sins 2,000 years ago, your sicknesses have been born on his body. Now, if our sins have been born on his body, that means they have no right to be on my body because of what Jesus already paid. See, what I'm trying to get you to do this morning is to stop paying for what's already been paid for, to stop doing what is already done. Jesus has already done it. It's already been provided. And this one I love, number five, the curse has been broken. I want to say that again. The curse has been broken. Galatians chapter three, verse 13. It says Christ has redeemed us, bought us back, right? Christ has redeemed us, excuse me, from the curse of the law. This is important because when you look in the Old Testament, if you broke one law, you broke them all. You broke them all. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Watch this, verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might become on the Gentiles. That's you and I, because we're not Jews. That's a Gentile. But where is it? In Christ Jesus that we might receive, watch this, the promise of the Spirit through what? Through faith. Through faith. So listen. You, as a believer, are not cursed. People in the world are cursed because they don't have faith that Jesus has redeemed them from the curse of the law. Listen, my friends, there is a curse in the earth. Cancer is a curse. Sickness is a curse. It's in the earth. But not for you because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Can I hear a good amen today? Oh, Pastor Phil, you don't understand. You don't understand. Um, you know, I just, I just mess up a lot because I'm under a generational curse. Not if you're a believer, you're not. Because the Bible says that when you come to Christ, you are a brand new creature and Christ was cursed so you don't have to be cursed. Can I hear a better amen than that? You know, Jesus didn't go to the cross for himself because he was bored. He didn't have anything else to do. Jesus didn't go to the cross for himself. He went to the cross for us. And when he went to the cross, listen, the curse fell upon him instead of us. So the, he bore the curse for us. Watch. So we don't have to. Now I want to ask you a question. Is poverty a blessing or a curse? Some of you are a little confused. That's okay. I understand that because we don't understand scripture because people say, you know, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't say blessed are the poor in their bank account. It says blessed are the poor in spirit. What is he talking about? He's talking about somebody that doesn't know God and has the humility to say, I need God. That's a poor in spirit, a humility to say, you know what? I need God in my life. 
but I've never heard a poor person say, wow, I love being poor. It's such a blessing. I've never heard a sick person. Can I ask you, is sickness a blessing or a curse? It's a curse. I've never heard somebody who's sick say, wow, I'm just, you know, I'm so glad for this sickness. It's been such a blessing for my life. No, not at all. And you know what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, for you to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, that through his poverty, you can become rich. Let me say it this way. Just because you have been redeemed from the curse doesn't mean that the curse is not going to try to continue to come to your life. But that's where we have to renew our mind that we are redeemed from the curse of the law. All the curses went on Jesus, were imputed to him in his body for us. Now, does the curse exist? It absolutely exists. But you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to live under that curse, even though you've already been redeemed? Some people are, because they just don't know. They don't know that Jesus, I refuse to live a cursed life. And the Bible says this in Galatians 3.14. It says, listen, he took the curse, watch, so you, the blessing of Abraham could come upon your house. Oh, let's talk about the blessing of Abraham. Was Abraham poor? Actually, he was mighty rich, mighty rich. How many kids does Abraham have? How many children does Abraham have? You can't count them. And that blessing that was on his life, Jesus took the curse so you can walk in the blessing of Abraham. And the Bible says that if you are Christ, you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. What promise? It was the promise that God gave Abraham that I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And today, even today, as people are becoming born again, the promise that God gave Abraham for his seed is still multiplying, still multiplying. How many of you know God keeps his promises? And so you are blessed. You are Abraham's seed. Well, you know, in my family, I don't care about your family. We are under the blessing of Abraham. And if your family is not under the blessing of Abraham, you better stop claiming that. Well, in my family, you know, we have, uh, you know, this has come down, my grandfather and my, yeah. But what about your grandfather, Abraham, who the Bible says you are the seed of him? So watch this. You can claim the curse if you want, and you'll live under it, even though Christ has redeemed you from it. That's where a lot of people are. But if you don't see sickness as a curse and get upset, cancer makes me upset. You know why? Because it hurts people. It hurts the very people that God loves. But if you don't see that as a curse, all right, here we go. I'm going to say it. If you don't see poverty as a curse, you'll live poor. But Jesus, the Bible says, though he was rich, became poor. Why? So you could become well supplied. Amen. Poverty is not spiritual. As a matter of fact, we're called to feed the poor, to feed the hungry. It's a curse. It's a curse. A poverty meant I know I lived under this for many years. My dad had a poverty mentality. I actually believe he died in a poverty mentality. 
because on the last six months of his life, it's, it's crazy, he was diagnosed with cancer. He had people step forward and say, I will pay for all of your treatment. And the treatment was about $30,000. So somebody was going to upfront $30,000 for his treatment, and he couldn't get it in his head, $30,000. You know what he said? That's a lot of money. Of course it's a lot of money, but how much is your life worth? But the poverty mentality, that cursed mentality, will not allow you to live. Can I hear a good amen today? And we would tell him, come on, Dad. And you know what? He just said, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't. And all the blessings were around him. People encouraging him. People that would pay. But you know what? He just couldn't get in his head that to pay $30,000 for treatment, that's just way too much. That is a poverty mentality. I'm telling you because these things exist in people. And so what happens is we don't move forward because we don't understand that the curse has already been taken care of. Can I hear a good amen today? You don't have to live under the curse. You are not cursed. You are blessed. Come on, say it. Say, I am blessed. I am blessed. Here's number six. This is already done. The devil has been defeated and disarmed. I, I, I do not have to defeat the devil. He is already defeated. And not only defeated, he is disarmed. This has already been done. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. It says, having disarmed principalities and power, he made a public spectacle of them, trying, triumphing over them. Listen, so Jesus has already done, you know, this word disarmed actually means to strip So Jesus, by what he did on the cross, stripped the enemy of his power. Everybody look at me. How much power does the enemy have? He has as much as you consent to give him. He has two weapons, and they have not changed. You know why they haven't changed? Because they work for people who don't understand the truth. Here's, Here's number one. His biggest weapon is deception. How do you get deceived? You do not know. You do not know the truth. And this one actually comes out of that one. Fear is the second one. You know, you don't have to fear because you are fully loved, the Bible says, that there is absolutely no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So the areas that you fear in life are the areas that you have not been allowed God to completely love you. So you get deceived. So people will date 100 people because they don't feel loved, right? And then they mess up their lives. They do all of these things. Why? Because they don't understand the truth that the devil has been defeated. And so when he comes to you, yes, he will attack you. You know, the Bible says that we are to submit to God. We are to resist him. But you are resisting a defeated person. And the only way he wins and he gets the victory is when you consent to allow him to work in your life. And he works through fear. And I, I, I want to be real honest today because for some of you, you know, I was, I was single for many years. I was about 38 before I met Val. And I sang out with some single people, and, um, and I would hear them say, I'm, I'm just afraid that I'll just never get married. Who says that? Where did you hear that? And fear. So you know what? Because they're afraid that they would never get married, they date people they don't really like. Well, he's all I got. Lord, change him, please. Help him, Lord. I pray that he, for his salvation, but he's the only one that likes me. 
and they're afraid. And you, let the, you know what you do? You open the door for the enemy to come inside your heart. That's why a lot of people live in poverty, because they don't give, because they're afraid that God won't keep his word. But it's funny to me because Jesus gave you his best in Jesus and his God gave you his best. He never holds back his best. He's always giving to you. But because you fear, you live in poverty. And so the enemy and the curse comes to your life. That's why the Bible says in the book of Malachi, it says you are cursed with a curse. Is Jesus cursing you when you don't give and you don't do what he says? Absolutely not. He became a curse for you. But your money is still under the curse until you give it. So that's why so many people struggle with their finances. Like, God, bless me. He's like, well, the thing is, is that when you give that tithe, when you give that 10%, what it does, it sanctifies the rest. And it puts my money. See, my money is not under Joe Biden's economy. My, uh, my money is under the economy of the king of kings, an immovable, shakable. My money is not under the curse. So you can talk about inflation. You can talk about gas going up. You can do all that stuff. But until you tithe, your money is under the curse. People don't understand that. And I can sit here and I can pray for you, but I'm going to pray that you follow God's word. Because so many people live under the curse. And I have found that when I break through that and honor God's word, the windows of heaven, my family, are already open. But nothing's going to come out of the windows of heaven until you do something here on earth. But the windows are open. But I'm telling you, the curse lurks and is waiting. I don't want my money cursed. I want my money blessed. And money is absolutely neutral. It's what you do with it, right? But I've talked to people who have lost a ton of stuff. And I'm like, the Bible has a specific promise for people who tithe. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. In other words, the devil cannot touch your money. But it also means that people who don't give and don't tithe, your money is free for the enemy to come and take. You can pray all day, but the reality of it is until you're obedient, that's going to put you in line with breaking that curse. But the curse is there. But you decide where you want to live. You decide, but the curse has been broken and the devil has been disarmed. And my church family, it's amazing all that Jesus has accomplished for you and I. And the only way that we can lay hold of this is by faith. Remember Galatians chapter three, verse 14 says that we might receive the promise of the spirit. How? Through faith, through faith. So watch this. It's faith that causes what is done in the spirit to be manifested and transferred into the physical realm. I'm going to say that again. It's faith that causes what is done in the spirit to be manifested and transferred into the physical realm. So this is why Paul is saying, listen, I understand the Bible says we wrestle not against, uh, against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. They will try to wrestle against you, but they are already defeated. This is why Paul says you need to start, number one, by understanding the fight is for your faith. Okay, I'm going to say something to you today. All of us can have excuses for one reason or another, whatever that might be. But I'm going to ask you to think about this for a minute because I thought about this when I was talking about the devil has been defeated and disarmed. If the devil was not an excuse for your life, if the devil was not an excuse for what's happening in your life, then what is the excuse? You know what the excuse is? The battle is for your faith. I think we give the devil way too much credit. Way too much credit. Well, you know, the devil is attacking me. I know, but he's defeated. 
So if you were to remove the, the whole excuse of the devil and how big he is and strong he is and how you're under so much attack, what's the excuse? The excuse is that you have more faith in what the devil is doing than what God has already done. Amen, Pastor Phil. Preach it, preach it, preach it. And I know some of you are just learning this for the first time because you never heard it. Or some of you have heard it, but you're like, yeah, that's cool. But you never apply it to your life. So you can know this and hear, oh, that's good. But until you apply it to your life, it becomes a reality. It becomes a reality. So Paul says the fight here is for your faith. Let me say it this way. The fight here is for what you believe. You know, this word fight in the Greek means this, a battle, a context, a contest. But watch this. I love the root word because the root word means this, to lead, to take with one, to lead by laying hold of, watch this, and this way to bring to the point of a destination. So where is the contest? Where's the contest? Where's the battle? Where's the battle? It's for your faith right? It's for your faith. So here's what Paul's saying. Watch this. He says this, the fight to lead this way to bring forth the point of destination is where your faith is. So you have to let faith take the lead. You have to, if your destination is healing, that that's what you're believing for. You have to let faith take the lead. Oh, can we talk just a little bit? My faith has to take the lead before I see or don't see. My faith has to take the lead before what I feel or don't feel. Can I hear a good amen today? I'm just going to give you an example because I think sometimes when I stand up here, I think you think that nothing goes wrong in my life, that everything, you know, I walk on a cloud, you know, when I get up in the morning, my pants float to me. And but, you know, two and a half weeks ago, I fell down the stairs of my house. I was, I had my socks on. I, we don't have carpet on our stairs. I felt, I mean, like I did the home alone without the slide, just boom on the floor. Right. And so I got determined. I got, I'm getting up. I'm getting up. Well, this morning I got up and I, I felt like I couldn't walk. I, my, I had so much, I, I literally felt like somebody took a bat and hit me right in the back of my back. It hurt so bad. And you know what? I, I have a decision to make. Either I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight or how I feel, or I'm just going to lay home and just go, okay. So you know what I did? I showed up. I feel great right now. I feel good. I feel strong. But what is that? That's faith. That's faith. I didn't see it or feel it. I just knew that this is what had God, it is already provided for me. So I literally need to walk in it. Yeah, did it feel weird? Did I have sense? Yeah, but you know what? I'm like, God's word is true, and I'm a blessed person. So faith takes the lead before what it sees, before or even what it doesn't see. Somebody said this week, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. So how do we fight the good fight of faith? Are you glad you came to church today? Say it's a good fight. It's a good fight. You already have the weapons. It's already been done. Victory has been given to you. We say God is fighting our battle. He is, but so many of us take that battle back. The only battle is for your faith. It's already won. Here's how you get the trophy. All right, are you ready? Here's how we fight this good fight. This is how we have faith for miracles. Number one, you have to elevate truth over facts. You have to. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so when faith comes, it comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. This word hearing actually means to understand. 
Watch this. This word hearing actually means to give an audience to. Can I ask you a question? What are you giving an audience to in your life? What are you sitting down and literally being the audience to? Faith comes. This word also faith, this word hearing means this, to understand. So faith, right, it comes by hearing. Now, write this down. This word faith means this. In Romans 10, 17, the word faith in the Greek means this, a strong conviction of truth. Let me say that again. A strong conviction of truth. Today, my church family, truth is coming to you by the word of God. A lot of scriptures today. Why? This ain't my opinion. This is God's word to you. Truth is coming to you. And the Bible says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. All right, everybody look at me. So if there's an area in your life that you are not free, then there is a truth that you don't know. That's why we're here. That's why I'm so hungry for truth. Because when I know it, it sets me free. But in the areas that I'm still captive, it's because there's a truth that I don't know. Let me describe when I say I don't know. You know truth when you do the truth that you know. I always say this, to know and not to do is not to know. If you are standing in the middle of the road and you see a car and you know the car is coming, you move because you know the car is coming. But many people say they know, but they don't do. How do you know you know? Because you do what you know. It's very important. So faith is a strong conviction of truth. So faith in itself doesn't deny the facts. Faith just doesn't focus on the facts. Watch, it elevates truth. My church family, whatever you elevate, whatever you allow to magnify in your mind, whatever you allow to occupy in your mind, you magnify that in your life. You magnify that in your life. Whatever you magnify in your life grows. Can I ask you a question? Can we make God bigger? We say this in worship. We magnify you, God. We say worship. Oh, we love you, God. We magnify you. Can I make God bigger? Come on, somebody. Can I make God bigger? Absolutely not. If I can make God bigger, there's a problem. But here's what I can do. I can magnify him in my own life, and I can make him bigger in my awareness of him, bigger in my own life. That's why we say we magnify you, God, over everything, how I feel, over what's in my bank account. No matter what's going on today, I elevate the truth above the fact. The fact is there's a diagnosis. The truth is, is by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. And when you understand this, it changes how you fight. Watch this. And it changes your perspective. See, we just said that Jesus has already provided healing, that by his stripes you were healed. Phil Valdez is healed. Watch this. So when I understand this, I am not a sick person trying and fighting for healing. I am a healed person fighting sickness. Did you get that? Because I'm fighting from a position of victory. The curse is coming, but the curse has already been redeemed. So I am not trying to get what Jesus already did for me. No, I am the healed fighting sickness. The fact is there's sickness, but the truth is I am already healed in Jesus' name and I am whole in Jesus' name. So it's already done. But you have to, in your mind, elevate the truth 
not just the facts. I am not cursed. I am blessed in Jesus' name. I am a blessed person fighting the curse. I'm not trying to be blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. The enemy will come, but he is already defeated. But who is he defeating? He's defeating the people that don't know the truth about his future and about what Jesus has already done. We have to elevate truth above facts. We fight from a position of victory, not trying to attain the victory. You know what we do? We enforce the victory that Jesus has already won. We enforce it. You know, a scripture, we were at a conference this week, and one of the scriptures that was mentioned so many times, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you believe that you're defeated, even though Jesus defeated the enemy, you'll live defeated. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, I'll never have the clients that I'll just never. That's right. You will never. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Oh, Pastor Phil, you know, I just, I will never get married. That's right. You will never get married. Because if a guy asks you out, you know what you're going to say? I'll never get married. Even though he's like, hey, how you doing? Because as you think in your heart, so are you. That's very, very powerful. What you elevate in your life, that's the way you live. So you have to see yourself as God sees you. God sees you in your spirit. He loves you. And so your spirit is not sick. Your spirit is not anxious. Can I hear a good amen today? Your spirit is not defeated. But you know what? What your mind decides is where you will live. And that's where the fight is. That's where the fight is. So we need to elevate truth above the facts. Number two, we need to say what God said, not what Google says. You know how when you self-diagnose, you kind of look and you try to find out what, hmm, man, I have this pain. Oh, okay, self, what does Google say? I'm going to die in two hours. Oh, my goodness. That's it. Get my life in order. Say, listen, can I just tell you this? We have to even stop saying what we think and say what God says. Some of you are in love with your own opinion. That's why you have no friends. Love to hear yourself talk and what you say. Do you know what? I love you. But if what you say doesn't go along with what he says, I'm choosing him. And sometimes the things that are coming out of our mouth are coming from opinions that you got maybe from grandma's remedies. Hey, I love grandma, but if grandma's remedies don't go along with his redemption, I'm picking his redemption over my life. Well, no, being our, you know, you just have to understand, you know, grandma had that problem and, you know, great grandma had that problem and, and okay, I will have that problem. And you just speak your own opinion. Can I just tell you, don't believe everything you think. You know why? Because not every thought originates with you. Have you ever had thoughts and go, where did that come from? What? what? Where did that come from? Is that only me? Am I the only crazy one in here? You just go, where, where did that come from? You know what? The enemy can whisper in your ear. The enemy can give you ideas. And so don't even say 
what you think. Don't believe everything you think. That's why the Bible says we have to come to a, a place where we allow our mind to be renewed by the, trans, the uh, transformation of our mind. Our mind is renewed through the word. It washes us. And the enemy loves to plant thoughts in your mind so you think they originated with you. Man, that's pretty smart. And we're like, uh, yeah, yeah. You know what the Bible says? You have to take every thought captive. Every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How many of you think God is all-knowing and knowledgeable? Can I see your hand? Watch this. It says, and that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of God. Every thought that we think, we have to filter it through the word of God. And every thought that we think, we have to say, is this trying to exalt itself above the knowledge of God? And the Bible says when that thought does, you have to cast it down. Who has to cast it down? You have to cast it down. Okay, watch this. We do the opposite of the scripture sometimes. So we take the God thoughts that he gives us, we take those and we cast those down. And we suppress those thoughts and we allow other thoughts to live that should not be living. We do the opposite sometimes. Can I just encourage you? Stop suppressing the God thoughts that he's showing you and that he wants to bring into your life. Let those live. Come on, elevate those. Magnify those. But you know what? Every other thought that is contrary to his word, you have to take that and cast it down in the name of Jesus. That's where the fight is. That's where the fight is. So you're going to have to you're going to have to come to a decision. Who will define you? I have Listen, I'm just going to tell you something. I love my wife, and she defines me well. She's very close to me. She has never done anything ill to me. But I want to tell you this. I'm using this as a negative example, but this, she's not negative to me. But I'm saying even if my wife was speaking negative things over my life, I would have to cast that down. Hear me, parents. Even if your kids are looking at you and saying things about you, if that is exalting itself above the knowledge of God, you have to cast it down. You have to cast it down. If it's a, if, listen, I'm just telling you, and not in a, in, in, a, in a weird way, but I feel the Holy Spirit on this. Some of you, you've allowed your spouse to define who you are. And if they're not saying what God says over you, you need to cast those thoughts down. And politely said, I'm sorry, but that's not who I am. And they may say, well, you know what? If you want me to treat you like a righteous person, you need to stop acting like the devil. But you know what you say? Well, the way I start acting righteous is by confessing righteousness, not confessing things that are going to bring me low. Because people rise up to other people's confessions. My kids, my son will rise up to my confession. That's why I have to be careful what I say, that I speak the knowledge of God over his life. Can I hear a good amen today? So, you are going to have to, see, some of you have dreams that you suppress, but then you take these other thoughts and you allow those to live. And God's like, I'm in that, but you keep, you keep casting that down. So flip it. 
Start taking the thoughts that the enemy and people are saying and judging it by the word of God and say, I'm going to only bring the thoughts into captivity that are are against God's word, but every God thought that comes to my life, I'm not going to suppress. I'm going to elevate and I'm going to magnify in my life. And guess what happens? You'll walk different, you'll live different, and you'll understand your identity in Christ. Can I hear a good amen today? Everybody look at me. You are not who people say you are. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. But you know when a thought becomes a reality? When you say it. That's why Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 says, therefore, take no thought saying. Listen, don't say everything you think. Because everything you think is not right. I know some of you are going to be offended by this because some of you think everything you think is right. It's not. That's why you still have areas where you need freedom. Because your truth is greater than the truth. So what happens? You don't, you're not set free. Well, you know, I think, great. What you think is not going to set me free. This truth is going to set me free. And I just want to help you because I've lived in this. And I wonder why I didn't get free. And I'm looking at God going, God, why aren't you doing this? He's like, I've already done it. But you have to renew your mind to the truth because my church family, I'm just going to tell you, once you step into freedom and you live a free life, you never want to go back to being in bondage. You never want to go back to being under that old system, that curse. You never want to do it. You love freedom. And when you start loving freedom, you start loving truth more because you understand it's the truth that you know that sets you free. I want to live free. You know, I want to have a church that's free, free to worship. Come on, somebody, free to give, free to serve each other. But how do we do that? We have to know the truth. Come on, say truth is coming to me today. So we have to say what God says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Now, since we've had this same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I have believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. So our confession is faith's expression in our life. When does your thought become a reality? When you say it. Do you know that your body and your mind will rise up to the level of your own confession? If you just say, I hear people say this all the time. I was actually with a friend. I had to correct him. He made a wrong turn. And this is what he said. I'm so stupid. Because you made a wrong turn? Come on, let's just make him feel better just real quick. How many of you in this room today have ever made a wrong turn? Okay. I just found out who the liars were because not everybody raised their hand. How many of you have ever made a wrong turn, even if it's on your bike? All of us have. But you can't let a wrong turn define who you are. But he's speaking that over his life, over a wrong turn. And you know what happens? You start to really believe. Man, I'm stupid. I can't do anything. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. The Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But you're going to have to believe, therefore, you speak. You look at your bank account and you start to say, thank God that I am well supplied, that I am not under the curse, that I am rich. That's what the the Bible says, right? It says, let the poor say what? I am rich. Why? Because in your confession, faith is released into the atmosphere. That's why the Bible says this. Jesus said, the Bible says he sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them. I wonder if we get your word and we send it, what's going to happen? He sent his word and he healed him just by his word. 
That's why the centurion said, listen, you don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word. And I understand the power and the faith that's in the word. So you have to say what God says. Now, listen, I'm preaching a little bit, but this is a process. Even with me, I'm, I'm in process. I had pain today, but I didn't say, oh, pain. Ah, You know what I said? If I'm going to say anything, if I'm going to use any of my breath today, it's going to be the word that God has spoken already. And I have to, everybody look at me today. I'm an equal opportunity offender today. I have to remind my body who's in charge. And it's not my body. It's not the way I feel. It's God's word. And it's the spirit on the inside of me. The Bible says that if the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, it affects your mortal body. What's happening in here is supposed to affect what's happening out here. Now, is that just, is that just a good Easter scripture or is that truth? I'm going to leave that with a question mark because I believe it's truth. But when you believe it's truth, that's when you'll have the healing. That's when, that's when you step into it. That's when you know. That's when you start to walk into it. But see, most people live in theory. Oh, yeah, Pastor Phil, that's, that's good. The same spirit raised Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I believe that. Okay, that's great. The Bible says that the demons believe and they tremble. Let me say it this way. The demons believe. They know that he's God, but they just don't do anything about it. So you can believe and go, hmm, that's good, and never get up and do what you couldn't do. Because faith has action. Here's number three. If we're going to win the fight of faith, this one's a good one. Associate with people who promote faith, not pollute your faith. Are you ready? Here we go. Jesus is our example. Good old sweet Jesus. He loves everybody unconditionally. But you know what? When he went to Jairus' house, the girl had died. The Bible specifically said he took Peter... James and John and the mother and the father of the girl, nobody else was allowed in that room. Do you know that in that time they had hired professional mourners? And you know what the mourners will do? And, and listen, I'm not against the mourners. I'm not against mourning. But here's, here's the idea. They would hire professional mourning, mourners so they could come and increase the sorrow in honor of the dead person. So it's almost like if you died, right? Let's just say you died, but you could see like your, your funeral, right? And you only had like 20 people crying. You're like, I died. I want to have a thousand people crying because, you know, I think I'm worth that, right? So this is kind of the idea. They would bring in people to just begin to mourn. They were professional criers, professional actors, and they would just bring them in. Why? To honor the dead. So everybody, oh man, right? And here, here's what Jesus did. Jesus, when he walked into the room, he actually had to get people out of the room. And so what he did, listen, Judas wasn't in that room. Doubting Thomas wasn't in that room. It was Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the father, and he had to get the mourners out. Because listen, before the girl got up, people had to get out. That was Jesus. Because Jesus wants an atmosphere of faith where the dead things can come to life, not an atmosphere of people that are around 
projecting more negativity and more death. Well, I just don't understand why I have faith. Look at the people around you. The Bible says, if you walk with the wise, you will be wise. That's one of the reasons why Sunday is so important because we sing that song. Imagine what can happen with the faith that is in the room. And when we get hundreds of people together singing, faith is ignited and miracles can happen. Don't expect to have faith and listen to Carly B. Don't expect to have faith and listen to Metallica. I know. That's what I used to listen to, Metallica. I was born for dying. Guess what? That's why at 19 I was on my knees trying to kill myself because Metallica was saying I was born for dying. Because I surrounded myself with that surrounded myself with that. That can happen in your car, the atmosphere of your car, the atmosphere of your home, right? Don't associate with people who pollute your faith. Do you remember Joshua and Caleb? They were the only two out of their whole generation that got the promise that God had for them. They had a million people around them to pollute their faith. But you know what? Joshua found Caleb and Caleb found Joshua and they stuck together because two people that are in agreement can, I'm telling you what, they can change the world. And I'd rather have one friend than have five doubting friends. I'd rather have three friends that are full of faith than have 10 friends. I'm telling you because 10 people came back from the promised land and said, we are not able. And they polluted the faith of millions of people. Even though God said that land is yours and they brought the big grapes. Look here, look at the prosperity. This is all yours. 10 people came back and said basically this, we cannot do what God said we can do. And 10 million people's faith was polluted and they walked out. And my church family, I get passionate about this and I don't make an apology. They died in the wilderness. Not because God didn't say, not because God didn't give them a, listen, a, um, a promise. Actually, They saw themselves as grasshoppers, but God saw them as giant killers, but they couldn't see what God saw through faith. Actually, the giants, when they got there, were actually really afraid of them anyway. And so God had given them the land. They just had to have the faith to walk into it. What happened? Jericho, when Joshua and Caleb got there, how did did they fight? through their worship, walking around the walls, walking around the walls, right? And then on the seventh time, they shouted, and all the walls fell down. Those walls were so big, history tells us that they could actually put two chariots uh, side by side on those walls going around, and one shout of people of faith, and all the walls in Jericho fell down. I wonder... Who has to get out of your life before you're going to get up? Joshua and Caleb, they they decided that despite who wasn't going with them, they're still going to go. I'm going. Are you going? Are you stepping into what God has for you despite whoever doesn't want to go with you? And here's where we end. We're going to fight this fight of faith. Is this good this morning? Number four, the evidence of our faith is in our actions is in our actions. James chapter two, verse 17 and 18, it says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith without your works 
but I will show you my faith by my works. James said, I show my faith by my work. Now watch this. Not, you can work and not have faith, but you can't have faith and not have works. I'll say that again. There's a lot of people who are working. That's why the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. There's a lot of people sacrificing, but obedience is better. So you can be working and not even have faith. The Bible actually says that you can sit in here and you can hear this truth, but if you don't mix it with faith, nothing happens. You've literally wasted your time. So as the word is going forth and the truth is going forth, here's what I encourage you to do. Receive it by faith. That's what amen says. Amen says, true that. That to me, I receive that. That be it unto me. Amen. You're receiving that truth. And so our work, our actions show our faith. And I'm not trying to be judgmental, but this is what the Bible says. Do you remember the four guys, they got their friend who couldn't walk and they put him on like a stretcher and they brought him to where Jesus was teaching? The Bible says that the house was packed. I love this. I love this story because these four guys were so passionate. These weren't guys that were polluting someone's faith. They were, some, they were somebody who were promoting faith because they're actually picking up their friend who couldn't make it to church. They're picking up their friend because they believe that Jesus could change their life. And this is what I love about this, because they get there and it's packed. And can I tell you what most people would do is they would look in the window and they would see that it's packed. And most people would say this, well, I guess it's God's will that he not be healed today. Let's go home. I don't see any way in. I guess it's God's will. God is sovereign. So I guess we'll just go back. Sorry, buddy. Maybe another time. You know what the Bible says? Those crazy guys got their friend on a stretcher and started climbing a wall. And they got to the top of the house and broke through the ceiling and interrupted Jesus. And they lowered their friend down. And the Bible says this, Jesus saw their faith. You know why? Because there was action. And they lowered him. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven to you. Get up and walk. The Bible also says, same, same story, that the power of healing was present to heal them. Them. But only one got a healing that day. There was a crowd of people in the house, but one person got a healing. Because one person actually, how do you, how do you get up when you can't walk? How do you do that? by faith. Listen, this is not new age. The new age got this from us. The Bible gave you an imagination, right? You have to see yourself walking before you walk. He had never walked, but he saw other people walking. So he knew that somehow he's going to have to move his legs. So you know what? The power was available. And then when he had faith, it ignited power that he didn't have to get up and do what he couldn't do. He saw their faith, saw their faith, saw their faith. Why? Because there is an action. Faith without works is dead. Belief with no action causes nothing. The demons just tremble. And here's how I know you believe what you believe. Because you act on it. Because you act on it because you act on it. That's how you know it's faith. 
that you begin to see what God's promise. This is why, and I'll close here, this is why God told Abraham so many times, get out from your tent, look up and see the stars. You see those stars? So will be your descendants. He took him to the beach and he said, you see every little granule of sand? You see that? Abraham Abraham had no kids and God was giving him what vision? You see all that? That's going to be like your descendants. Because he knew that Abraham needed to see himself like that before it happened. You need to see yourself. Come on, somebody. I have been seeing us in a building since we have been here. And God is working. And I can't share it with you yet. I can't share it with you yet. I can't share it with you yet. But I will. I will. And it's going to be more than we could even imagine. But I just don't see this. I don't just see an empty seat. I see a person here that is delivered from depression. I see a person here that needs Jesus. I see a person here that is going to be healed in their marriage. I see a person over here who is going to be delivered from drugs. I see a person here who is going to be delivered from cancer in the name of Jesus. I see whole families over here being restored. You may see empty seats. But I see possibility. You can use your imagine, imagination for it'll never happen, or you can use your imagination for, listen, all things are possible to him who believes. Listen, if you want to get married, you need to start preparing for what you're praying for. You need to start to see it. You need to start getting ready. Come on, somebody. If you're going to start a business, you need to see that business successful. I see people healed. I see people walking in the knowledge of God. I see it. And you know what? I'm not seeing something weird. I'm just seeing what God has already done. And I'm seeing what's the possibility of what can happen in the spirit and it become a reality in the physical. Can I hear a good amen today? Come on, would you stand with us? Did you receive something today? Come on, my church family. Let's fight for our health. Let's fight for the dream that God has placed in our heart. Come on, let's fight. For our family. Can I hear a good amen today? My church, come on, somebody. The great news is that as children of God, our past doesn't have to determine our future. We don't have to be defined by our situations and our circumstances. Let's fight for the life that God has. Let's believe. Come on, say, I'm a believer. Come on, say, I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. Determine you're going to live and walk in the blessing, not under the curse. How many blessed people do we have today at Passion Life Church? Come on, somebody. Come on, go beyond by what you feel. Go beyond by what you think. Again, it's worth the fight. Why? Because you win. You win. Everybody look at me and then I'll pray. I'll offend you, then I'll pray for you. Everybody look at me. We got to stop being so delicate. The enemy is not passive. He'll come at you every day. But here's the reality. He is defeated. So you just got to stand up, get a backbone, and start speaking the word of God. Just, I want to tell you something. If he came to Jesus in the wilderness, he's going to come to you. But how did Jesus defeat him? Saying the word. Saying what God says. He was God, but he was speaking. It is written. It is written. It is written. Listen, I cannot determine how many times the enemy will come, but I can determine whether he stays and I can resist him with the word of God. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.